Joining us for this hour of Sports Talk is the man himself, Vince Ferrara. You can always find Vince's views with his blog um, on 991thesportsanimal.com, and you also have Vincenzo's views, which is the podcast, which you can find wherever you find your podcasts. That's right, which includes this hour that I spend with you guys. So appreciate you having me. Yeah, the, the blog's busy this week and took a look at the now 32 University of Tennessee players in the National Football League on expanded rosters and uh, also did a 2019 recap to get you caught up on what each of those did a year ago. And some of those names you may have forgotten about and some on different teams getting new opportunities. So uh, neat look into tons of information on it. And then also in a separate blog in on the same spot, 991thesportsanimal.com, uh, separated the five one-time Vols that ended their college careers in different at different schools, and then there's three more that have local ties that did not play at the University of Tennessee but have local interests like your Harrison Smiths, your Randall Cobb, and the other one is Chris Jones who uh, punted at Carson Newman. So you can find all of that uh, 991thesportsanimal.com, and then Vince, you also just put together a breakdown or are in the process of the Tennessee football team scholarships by position group. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting to lay it out, and it a number of things highlight on that. First, the total number that I've come up with is 89 scholarship players for Tennessee. Now, that counts guys that we don't know in terms of the eligibility, like a Cade Mays, but he'll still count towards that scholarship total. Um, and, you know, there's there's a num- there's more than that in the players that could contribute to this team uh, because there's some preferred walk-ons, especially on special teams. Those guys, uh, punters, kickers, maybe not place kicker, but punters could find their way, long snapper. You can find a way on onto the field uh, as a walk-on in some role. But in terms of the quarterbacks, you, you know, you guys know the list of them because it's been discussed an awful lot in Garantano, Shrout, and Maurer as the returners, and then the two newcomers in Bailey and Holiday. Uh, Holiday at quarterback at, at the moment. So Tennessee has five scholarship guys at the moment there. Uh, and then one of the bigger positions that is having turnover is wide receiver, where there's five scholarship wide receivers returning from a year ago. That's a very small number. Mm-hmm. They have five newcomers, including a grad transfer and Velas Jones Jr. You group him with the four newcomers, which I think is one of the better wide receiver classes in all the country, if not the best. I mean, this is such a talented group. I like all of these guys in Beckwith, Weidman, Callaway, and Hyatt. That's an exciting group of newcomers. Fortunately, they're not getting the chance to go through spring ball. Um, so that's the wide receiver group at 10. And then at tight end, you have six running back. Uh, all of those are, are uh, returners because Jordan Allen has moved into that group. A running back, there's four returners and then three newcomers. And I, I it, with, um, with Jabari Small, he's a guy that Jeremy Pruitt, at the, in the early signing period, he talked about, small in being one of those guys from this class that you know is an athlete you can see him at running back and see him at slot receiver return specialist and jeremy pruitt he compared him a little bit to a malik gray from last year's class so i thought okay maybe they'll look at him a little bit maybe i where, where do i slot him at so i thought running back there and then also in going back and listening to 
to Jeremy Pruitt at the uh, February signing period, he mentioned he was kind of going position by position, and he said three running backs. And their other two are Whitehead and Hodge. And if there's anyone else is joining that group, would be small. So Jeremy Pruitt is kind of at least administratively putting in three running backs. I think we can slot him in there that spot first, and then with the ability to play wide receiver and some other spots. Um, offensive line, 11 returners of four newcomers, two of them freshmen, excuse me, three of them freshmen, and then Cade Mays as well. Then on defense, a lot of big groups here in terms of numbers. On the D-line, 13, uh, excuse me, a 12 returning defensive lineman with three newcomers uh, in Bailey, Perry, and Thomas. Linebacker, another big group, uh, eight linebackers returning with four newcomers. And then in the secondary, another big group, 13 returners with three more newcomers. And, uh, Jimmy, I think that that D-line group with 15 bodies there, I know they're not in the 3-4 a ton because of offenses and you're in nickel and dime coverages a lot. But 15 defensive linemen, when you're a base 3-4, that's a lot of bodies for those those spots. What do you think? Uh, it is a lot of bodies. Uh, it it makes you wonder, will they show a little bit more 4-3? I don't know what the breakdown was on 3-4 versus 4-3. Yeah. A lot of times, Vince, when they went to a 4-3 look last year, it was walking up Daryl Taylor. It was walking up a linebacker. Right. So you really had three defensive linemen, then an outside linebacker a lot of times. But that's, those are a lot of bodies uh, in one position. Uh, yeah, that, that does to, to fill basically three. Because – they don't often show a four-man look with four defensive linemen. Right. Now, we saw four, we'd see four two-fives from mm-hmm. them, and sometimes that second guy, even at linebacker, would be someone from the secondary in, in sort of that money position that they'll play. So even that takes away from the linebacking group number where they have 12. Now, Henry T is going to be one of them, Question is, is who's the other one? And it may depend on the development of guys in that group in whether in some of their nickel and dime packages, whether they have a second linebacker on the field. Maybe they feel like some of those outside backers can rush the passer. And Roman Harrison could be in that group mm-hmm. that that works his way into a role. So you're right. There is some flexibility in that front seven between the D linemen and the linebackers especially. And you know they're... I I think that's Pruitt likes having that versatility of all right this guy can do this better and I want to get my best eleven on the field so in, in third down when we need a pass rusher we're going to go to this guy and this guy and we'll make it work and if we adjust then we'll go to this guy so I just think he likes kind of piecing that puzzle together. Let me ask you this: I don't think anybody is going to resume with spring football practice. We agree on that. I I agree with that. Okay. Does that mean fewer players will transfer? Because I think a lot of times a player might see the writing on the wall. I just got beat out by this guy, that guy. I don't think I'm going to get much playing time. And I learned that based on spring practice. I'm out of here. Do you think we will see fewer transfers because we don't have spring football? Probably so. Now, I think some guys transfer and maybe already know about a potential new destination without having to, say, go unofficially visit them and and see what the campus is like. 
Obviously, you're not going to see much of that. That that travel will be down. But if a guy is familiar enough with the other options and decides, I'm not going to get any playing time here, and there's some communication from other schools that there'd be an opportunity for that player there, whether he has a chance to visit them or not, I still think that can happen. So to answer your question, I would think to some degree, yes. But I don't know if it's a massive reduction in that because oftentimes it's about playing time and let's be real sometimes the team is going to say hey you're not going to get any playing time here so here's the reality of your situation maybe but that's, it may be harder for a coach to tell them that if they don't go through spring i mean that's true but Maybe they felt that way before, and then spring practice was sort of their validation of it. <laughs> Could be. Could be. <laughs> um, so I, I just I think it's going to be so – there's going to be a wide range of these different situations, and it may be much different for one player versus another situation. Um, but, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's tough. I know with the 89, you're going to have some sort of attrition. Mm-hmm. Now, it could be medical – it could be a kid just stepping away from the game. It could be some of the some of them really told the reality, but not told they have to leave. Just say, "Hey, here's the deal for you," and then expecting them to move on. They've got some time to get that number down. Um, but Buchanan's I, one of those, right? Yeah, I'm counting Buchanan. Yeah, yeah, he may not play again, right. so they could medical him, right? But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And I don't know how many of those are walk-ons who got a scholarship that was just a one-year deal. That's true. Yeah. That's a good point. Let's get a call from Mark. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Mark. Hello, man. How are you today? Doing well. Hope you're fine. We're doing great. My question is, with the possible cancellation of spring practices, will the NCAA open up early practices in the summer, extend the time that teams can practice? Mark, I don't know that. I did talk to an SEC coach the other day who thinks there's a chance that instead of starting practice August 1 for the fall, it might be July 20th. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. They might get the days like that okay. rather than, okay, we're going to do a summer version from June 1st through June the 20th. I don't think they okay. would do that because you're looking at, I think some logistical issues. And you you have to I think you have to give these players that there's going to be a wide range of what they're able to do from a physical standpoint during this period and if they don't get spring practice and then summer and better conditioning than other I think you're going to have to have some sort of ramp up for those players. And and Greg Sankey kind of hinted to it a little bit in his teleconference, I thought, in saying, hey, we, we want to do what we can to make sure that our our teams are prepared for the season. So that tells me that, that they're open to that. And one other thing on that, Mark, and glad you brought that up, because I've heard a lot of people, whether it's analysts or hosts or whatever, I've heard a lot, a lot of people say, well, they won't do that because of the NCAA rule against summer contact. That's or, exactly what they sound like. <laughs> I'm good at impersonations. You are. Yes. That's impressive. <laughs> and, and people are, uh, of course, the reason I ask that is because if the NCAA opens that up, it would it would open it up for everybody, and so it would be a I know it'd be unprecedented, but at least it would be a rule to help teams going forward 
uh, in the season. Exactly, and that's the point, is I think because this is uncharted territory for everybody, I think the NCAA will and will need to adjust their roles and say, hey, for this year, you can have this amount of contact uh, with your players, extend the hours that you can work with them before you get them on campus, or extend those practices. I think the NCAA, yes, they have rules in place, but they have got to adjust to it to help their teams, and I would anticipate in some form or fashion they'll uh, adjust those rules just for this year. As silly as it sounds, will they be allowed to uh, have like a, a conference calls with their players or um, any types of meetings that are online? Would they be allowed to? Is that what your question is? Yes, yes. Does that break any rules to, to stay in contact? I know that they said, you said earlier, uh, as as uh, Coach Pruitt said, you know, we, we have to stay in contact with our uh, upcoming recruits. But could they, as a team, um, have a practice online, so to speak? They could, but I'm not sure how many coaches want to do that. A practice yeah, online? Okay. I think there may be communication in explaining what they want yes. them to do. But I, I, uh, yes. I think that's – yes, I think that that is allowable to my understanding. I, I guess maybe, okay. maybe Mark, if you mean, like, can a, can a coach maybe do a video conference with his quarterbacks in his quarterback room and kind of go over plays? You, you mean something to that effect? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, something like that. Yeah. Um, thank you for taking my call. I appreciate your show. All right. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Let's go to Randy. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Randy. Hello. Good afternoon, everybody. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm okay. I've never been arrested, but this must be what a house arrest feels like. I feel like <laughs> I'm on house arrest. A um, couple things. Um, it could pertain to UT baseball or any baseball. And then I have uh, one baseball question and one comment. The question is, the home team, the home pitcher has pitched six innings. He's got a 3 nothing lead. A middle inning reliever comes in, and he loses the lead. It's four to three now. All right, that home team puts in a closer, and it's five three now. They they score, but the home team in the last inning comes back to win six to five. Does the starting pitcher that went six innings and had a three nothing lead does he get the win or is no? Game? No, it's it's. It's essentially, and there are exceptions, it's essentially who is the pitcher of record when the team gives itself the lead, it never relinquishes. So even though the pitcher, the starting pitcher, when six innings gave up three runs, the fact that they lost the lead, he is not eligible for the win. Now, if he was, if they were up 11 to nothing and he went four and two-thirds innings, he would not be eligible for the win in Major League Baseball. Um you can do a prearranged split in college baseball where you can still get a win and not pitch five innings. But normally the starter has to go five innings uh, or more and exit Jimmy. He has to exit with the lead or he can't win unless his t- if he's if he gets the last out in the uh, let's see in the top of the fifth. Let me okay the scenario is messing with me. Um, well, yeah. it's not, it's not going to matter if they don't hold on to the lead. Correct. Right. Yes. Okay. Well, here's Randy. Under your scenario, what likely yeah. is the case? The pitcher that got the yeah. last out in the top of the ninth is going to get the win. Yes. 
Okay. Um, you might have misunderstood me, or I might not have made made myself clear on this. The home team's got a three nothing lead. Right. No, we got that. They, we got that. And they lose okay. the lead. Okay. Yeah. If the lead's yeah. lost, okay. you lose the opportunity to win the game. It doesn't okay. matter. You Even come back. Okay, I got you. One. You know, this is a comment. This was something that originated um, around the first of the twentieth century, like stickball did up north. And I remember a long time ago, Ken Harrelson, that played for the Indians, said he grew up playing this game. I saw it in Sports Illustrated. It's called half ball. They call it half rubber in Charleston and Savannah. You take, you cut a rubber ball in half, and uh, you throw a sidearm like you're skipping a stone on the water. And the half, the bottom half, would be like where you're trying to skip a rock across the water. And the rules are uh, Charleston rules and Savannah rules. They they haven't decided where the game has originated. One city says one, the other one says the other. But have you guys ever heard of that game? Ken Harrelson used to talk about playing it growing up. Hawk Harrelson, I think, was his name. I have not. I have not. Vince, have you? Nope. Half if ball. you Google it, yeah, it's 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 a funky game. If you Google it, it's um, it went up north, and then they, I think they changed it to stickball up there. But if you if you go either half ball or half rubber, uh, you like cut a rubber ball in half, and, and uh, it's uh, <laughs> the rules are different in Charleston than they are Savannah, and they're just a few miles apart. And one says they invented the game, and the other one says uh, they invented it. So, but it's it's a really a really funny game if you look at it. Uh, it only, it's only played six innings, and if somebody a caller is out there that's from that area, Savannah or Charleston, that, that grew up playing it and knows about it, I wish they'd call in, take a look at it, um, and see what you guys think. And thanks for the answer on the other. I appreciate that very much. All right, Randy, thank you. We'll get a break. Vince Ferrara, our guest, six five six ninety nine hundred is how you join us. Six five six ninety nine hundred star nine ninety is free for AT and T and U.S. cellular customers. The toll free number. 1-866-656-9900. Sports Talk rolls on on 99.1, The Sports Animal. The Sports Animal and Alexa are best friends. Just tell her, Alexa, enable the 99.1, The Sports Animal skill. Skill enabled. Then anytime you want immediate Tennessee sports info, say, Alexa, play 99.1, The Sports Animal. Okay, playing 99.1, The Sports Animal. Vince Ferrara sits in on Sports Talk with Jimmy Hyams. I'm John Wilkerson to join us. 656-9900, 656-9900. Star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. It's Doug who's up next. Hello, Doug. Afternoon, gentlemen. Afternoon. Hey, Doug. I was listening uh, with interest. You were talking about the Tokyo Olympics and all the projections and everything, and I can speak uh, from being there when it happened. I was fortunate or unfortunate enough to live at Knoxville during the 82 World's Fair and Atlanta during the 96 Olympics. And you can take the projections these people come up with when they're trying to get the games or the World's Fair somewhere and uh, double the expenses and cut in half the projected revenue they have coming up. As you all know from Knoxville, uh, Jake Butcher and the fair – about bankrupted every bank in East Tennessee, 
It bankrupted every motel in Gatlinburg. I think it took Gatlinburg 10 years to come back because they come up, and the Olympics is the same principle. They come up with this projection that, say, 50,000 people will be here. Well, like in Gatlinburg, probably 48,000 people would have been there anyway during the summer. Oh, so what yeah. happened in the 82? What happened in the 82 Olympics? Nobody came to Knoxville, and everybody that usually went to Gatlinburg for their vacation for a week or two didn't come. Yeah, it was for the World's Fair, and then uh, yeah. and then yeah. also with uh, with what people expected in terms of folks spending the entire summer, I'll just never forget them clearing a lot, um, and it was a sizable piece of land that was off the Emory Road exit in Powell, and what uh-huh. they did is they just they they you just saw a big swath of red clay, then you saw a gravel bed, and they had put a whole bunch of uh, electro electrical hookups, and that was quote-unquote, a campground. You couldn't find a blade of grass anywhere between the street and where you were hoping to set up your camper, but that was a campground with the hopes of, of this overflow of this mass of humanity that was going to be spending the summer in Knoxville. And, uh, and there were more than a few people that did something that was big in that direction that, uh, that wound up not being able to, uh, to come close to benefiting from it. Yeah, and I'm sure the same thing in Tokyo and Atlanta. Every little hamlet within 60 miles of Hamlet put on their, you know, uh, Hamlet Bird Festival and thought people were going to come to Atlanta for the Olympics and get their rental car and drive 60 miles out of town to see whatever little thing they had on. And uh, the only thing Atlanta benefited from, which was greatly, was uh, the Centennial Park. I mean, yeah, the Olympic Park down there, which came about. But the, the tennis facilities they use are grown over. The swimming they use are grown over. The horse jumping thing, whatever they call it, was grown over. So, uh, and I think this even will be more of a mess. Tokyo had to cancel theirs, uh, but if they don't have it in summer, then they're going to be killed in the fall. Because we talked about the big Kahuna NFL. Not many people are going to be watching Olympic events when the NFL and college football are on. So, uh, I think they made the right decision. But it's just a general thing. These these things, as I think you all quoted somebody. Are, are always just completely overrated mm-hmm. for the economic benefit they bring to the to the whole city. Yeah, and the notion right now is for the Olympics to be next summer. Yeah. So, so, so they wouldn't work. be going up against the NFL or college football or, as you mentioned, what would be a hugely crowded landscape. Yeah. Well, just think what September's going to look like now if everything comes off. What, we got the Masters, and what else do we have scheduled for September? The Kentucky French Derby. Open. Yeah, Kentucky, Kentucky Derby. Derby. <laughs> Who knows? You could get into the NBA playoffs at that point. Yeah, Bring it on! Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, I'm, sure, I'm sure the NBA playoffs the more the merrier. would have huge numbers. Yeah. So uh, good show, guys. See you. Sure do appreciate it, Doug. Thank you very much. But guys, I don't think it, you know. There, I guess some people have debated this. Well, if the NBA playoffs has to go up against the NFL, then they should not even bother. I, I don't agree with that. If you if we have a abbreviated uh, close to the regular season, and then there's the NBA playoffs, and people are starving for any sort of sports, high-level sports, and you get right into the NBA playoffs. Uh, ideally, year-to-year, you don't want to compete with the National Football League, but I think there would be a ton of interest in it under the circumstances this year, don't you think? Well, yeah, then the yeah. NBA playoffs aren't played on every day that the NFL's playing. The NFL, you can play an NBA playoff game on Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. Right. There are plenty of days you can pick from, so you don't necessarily have to go head-to-head. And it could be an even more condensed playoff schedule this year if you're getting that far into the, the calendar, which 
means you're not going to have lulls like you typically do sometimes, especially in the early rounds of the playoffs. Goodness. Between home games, they'll have three days sometimes. Now, that, that I think that would only add to the momentum that they would have. You know, it, if the NHL was to come back and then, you know, Major League Baseball, you could have all of that going on around the same time if if it plays out that way and we get clearance. And even if it's empty arenas, I think, in terms of the television ratings, I think they'd still be huge. The NFL is not going to lose much in terms of their share, but I think there's going to be so much interest that there'll be plenty to go around. 656-9900, 656-9900. More with Vince Ferrara coming up as you listen to Sports Talk on 99.1, the sports animal. Sports Talk continues. I'm a simple man with Jimmy Hyams and Vince Ferrara. To join us, 656-9900, 656-9900. Star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. Uh, you've got your show that returns to the airwaves tomorrow night. We Folks have actually heard the preview just a little bit. What is coming up tomorrow night, 8 o'clock on In the Cage? We're going to break down what's what's happened as of late and the impact of the coronavirus in MMA. There actually was a couple of events overseas, one in Manchester called Cage Warriors. That happened. There were some UFC fighters that had traveled to London to take part in the UFC London show that was scheduled for this past weekend that they had to cancel. Well, a couple of fighters stayed back and participated in that cage warriors event and so there was some mma that happened over over the weekend so we talked about that a little bit dana white says he's got a venue for an empty arena show that he's going to pull off for the habib ferguson massive pay-per-view that's still intact ufc 249 uh he said he didn't disclose the venue but um he says it's 99.9 percent that he's got uh, the venue locked down and he says they're they're going over the top in terms of health and safety of their fighters. So he's planning to have an empty arena event. That's April 18th. So we talked about that and how they can pull that off. And also an interview with Liv Parker, who is an undefeated MMA fighter. Some people may have heard her story of her weight loss and how she got into MMA. Really inspirational. She is a super personality. So we will visit with Liv Parker tomorrow night, 8 to 9 our weekly MMA show, myself and Tim Loy, matchmaker for Valor Fighting Challenge, uh, called In the Cage MMA Radio here on the Sports Animal. So, Jefferson High, wasn't that, wasn't that when your band was called Massive Pay-Per-View? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, uh, my alma mater, Jefferson High School, actually in, in Tampa, Florida. Yeah. Home of Steven Garcia. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And it goes, it goes downhill from there, which doesn't say much for me. Surprised to see Jalen Johnson enter the transfer portal. Not really. With the guards that are coming in, the wing players that are, are coming in uh, into this class, I, I'm not. Jalen Johnson, Rick Barnes always had confidence in him and believed in him. We just never really saw him make the impact that Rick Barnes believed he could. And in some ways, it paralleled up until this year with John Fulkerson, 
we always heard him talk about Fulkerson can do this, Fulkerson do that. Well, John Fulkerson lived up to that. Jalen Johnson had a bigger role this year and a little bit more productivity, but really wasn't able to break through like I'm sure he hoped. And then he understands that from a playing time standpoint, it's not really going to happen next year. So if he feels like that last year of eligibility, he can go to a mid-major type program and make an impact. I'm sure there will be uh, there will be schools that will welcome him, and he may be able to flourish in those areas. But uh, he was going to slide even farther down the pecking order with the group that's coming in next year. What do you think in terms of what we've seen as the uh, way too early top 25 notion that Tennessee's top 15 and, and some have top 10? I'm fine with it. I, I think it's fairly accurate. If they had another big, I think you might see them in the top 10. I, I think with with everything that they have coming back and the players that are coming in with the two five-stars and a four-star, I, I think there's going to be a lot of expectations for this team next year, not just from this fan base that really w- wants to get back to those winning ways, but people nationally, because those national writers recognize the the recruiting talent. So, yeah, you have newcomers coming in, but they're in college basketball. You need to know who the potential difference makers are for programs as freshmen going in. And when you have all the notoriety Tennessee has gotten with their signing class, uh, the, that boosts up your expectations because they have that in addition to returning players. They're not a finished product. I don't know that they're a quite a fine they're a final four type of team if they had another impact big I, I think you'd look at them as a top 10 and even bigger sort of expectations for next year you think tennessee looks to the transfer portal to find a big we've already had over 300 basketball players into the portal yeah i, I haven't seen that fit so far floating out there there have been more guards uh, i know harvard's guard was highly sought after all the major schools were were after him. I don't think Tennessee was in the mix for him because of just the depth that Tennessee will have in the backcourt and, and on the wing. But um, I haven't seen that right guy yet. But, yes, I think they absolutely will look in that direction. I, I'm not sure, Jimmy, that the the transfers are over for this team. Maybe they are, but who knows? There may be another spot that opens up. But I, I think definitely you have to be always open to look in that direction. With Tennessee being guard-heavy, what do you see as the role for Santiago Viscovi? I think you I think you'll see him as a sort of a Lamonte Turner type where he'll split time sometimes at the 1 bringing the ball up other times at the 2 and then possibly really being a scoring threat off the bench which at times Turner was in his career. He was a guy that could bring you some instant offense, had the ability to handle the ball and bring the ball up and run the point. I think he could be maybe, I don't know if it was junior, maybe sophomore year Lamonte before he got into the regular starting lineup. I think you could see that from Viscovi because I really like Victor Bailey. I think they could have really used him this year, and he he's a different type of, of guard, and it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being that regular point guard and and then Vescovi sort of be able to bounce between the one and the two, but then they'll have options as well. Springer can do both. They'll have some options in the backcourt, so I, I kind of see the. And then obviously, uh, Josiah Jordan James has the ability to play 
at one, two, or three. You have a lot of versatility with him also. So I think all, all those guys will move around to a lot of different spots, but I, I would say a, a one-two split for Viscovi next year. Let's talk to Don. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Don. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? Fine. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. Uh, I just cannot believe that you all hadn't played high ground ball. All right. <laughs> no, I was going <laughs> to kindly comment on it. Uh, we have a set uh, that we play it a lot. It, it's it's a, it's a rubber ball. It's about the size of a tennis ball cut in high, mm-hmm. and it's rubber. And like the gentleman said, you throw it flat. And you place it between your thumb and your forefinger, and that's how you pitch it. Okay. Okay. You, the uh, bat that you get with the set, uh, you can use a broom handle. That's about the size of the bat is. And it's not as easy to hit as you might think. And uh, you have a catcher. You have, a, you have like, you uh, mark off a place for a single a little farther back for a double and all back for uh, a triple and a home run. And you have a catcher. And then uh, if if the batter swings at the ball and tips it and the catcher catches it, you're out. Or if he swings at it and does not hit it uh, and the catcher catches it, you're out. It's really, a, it's really a fun game. Where did you first come across it? Uh, well, I mean, I live out, and this is, uh, uh, where, uh, oh, I've, I've known about it for the last several years, but when I was growing up, we played things similar to the same, uh, game, but we called it cork ball. We used a cork, and it is even more difficult with a cork. I'd say so. the high ball. And, uh. But like I say, it's not as easy to uh, to hit as you might think because it does all kinds of die and oh. different things, you know, movement. Right. But it is. It's it's really a fun game, so I thought I'd call you and, and tell you that uh, there is such a thing. All right. Well, we sure do appreciate it. Don, thank you very much. Yeah, fellas. Have a good day. All right. You be well. And um, I just always played wiffle ball as a kid. Yep. Me too. And that's uh, with the dipping and diving and just the incredible breaking stuff. (laughs) Monster on the mound. (laughs) (laughs) With Vince Ferrara, I'm John Wilkerson and Jimmy Hyams. A final segment of this hour of Sports Talk coming up as you listen to 99.1, The Sports Animal. You know how to pass the time when you're on the job. With 45 minutes of sports every hour. 99.1, The Sports Animal. Segment to hour number two of Sports Talk. Our guest, Vince Ferrara, to join us, 656-9900, 656-9900. Vince, Mel Kuyper has indicated he doesn't have any Tennessee players listed among the top ten in any position group, but I did read where there was one uh, uh, NFL uh, guy that said he compared Marquez Callaway to Kenny Galladay with Detroit and Daryl Taylor to Anthony Spencer, a former first-round pick from Purdue who played with Dallas in New Orleans. What do you think of Callaway 
and of uh, of Taylor. I could see the Taylor Spencer comp more than Callaway and Galladay. Uh, I Galladay's just been fantastic for the Lions. He's also a bigger body, I think, than Callaway, and just I really like Marquez Callaway. I think he is a super kid, great personality. Uh, I think his teammates really like him, very popular. There was just times where he was quiet on the field and didn't impact games like his talent tells you he can. And so he had spectacular moments, but it was overall inconsistent because of some of those quiet periods. Now, why is that? Is that because the quarterback play? Is that defensive schemes? If it is defensive schemes, did he not have the right uh, the right answers to to try to offset that? Is it one thing that the NFL sees that hey, we can teach him uh, how to get off press coverage better? You know, maybe fine tuning route running that they think all right, this guy has some some pretty good skill sets and and abilities. We can coach him up. We, he has something to work with to where we can turn him into a more productive NFL player than maybe even college players. So uh, there, there'll be some variant, variance in, in opinions of him. I, I think he's a, a potential draft pick, but that, that's kind of lofty comparison right now that I, I don't know that I would, I would go to that extent for him. I thought he was too. Kim English staying on the men's basketball staff. You know, he is so bright. And uh, very popular with the with the players. Really good connection. He just gets it. He's a young player that gets it. That's why he was offered that uh, Southeast Missouri State head coaching opportunity. He's going to be a head coach before long. But I I like the move for him to stay, and I think it's a very it's very much a positive for Tennessee in having him stay. Just really connected with the players, especially the, as young as his roster was. Uh, it's I, I like like that he is kind of seeing this out like he mentioned. Would you have liked to have seen Peyton Manning on Monday Night Football with Al Michaels? I, sure, I think Peyton is going to bring entertainment. He's going to bring insight. Uh, yeah, it would be it it would be tremendous. I think he's going to be if he chose to do that, he'd be great. Whatever he chooses to do, he seems to work out for him because. He he just gets it. He can adapt to his surroundings. Uh, all of his uh, of his uh, uh, shows that he has done, um, all of those features for ESPN Plus that uh, ESPN is highlighting today, uh, all day on Peyton's birthday. I, I just he he just gets it and he adapts to his surrounding and he puts in the work for it. Uh, so yeah, I think he would have been fantastic. I. I, you know, I, I think that um, that him passing on it doesn't surprise me, though. I think he likes having the the options and can kind of do things and be versatile with it and do a lot of different things versus being locked down in, in that world. So I'm fine with it. We have seen the onset of some brand-new looks, logos for the NFL. Your thoughts, Rams? Ooh, too bad we didn't have video going, video oh. with the audio of you asking me that question <laughs> when you mentioned the Rams. Yeah, I, I the first thing is, that looks like the Chargers. That was my first reaction. Then it was, 
wait, is that a ram in there? So yeah, you could kind of see what they were doing, sort of Milwaukee Brewer-ish, where, where they build in the logo to the letters. Yes. So I get that. What's the helmet going to look like? That I have not seen. Have you seen what the helmet's going to look like, if it's going to be the same way? I have or? not. Okay. I like the Ram logo. I'll, I'll say that. I, I don't mind They that. shouldn't change their helmets at all. I agree with that. So if they leave that alone, here's the thing. For the Los Angeles Rams, a little, little, little fashion uh, advice here, free of charge, okay? The colors on your helmet, should match the colors on your uniform. Yes. That did not happen this no. past year. There's a gold and there's a yellow, <laughs> and they shouldn't be on the field at the same time. <laughs> it's kind of like an offensive player and a defensive player that share the same number. They shouldn't be on the field at the same That's time. That's exactly right. That's should, a rule. Yeah. <laughs> is there anybody else that you see is a, is a look that's under repair that, that should be fixed? Well, Sam Foreman told us that the Chargers have un, uh, unveiled a new logo. I have not seen that. Here's what I've wanted from the Chargers. Okay, I'm looking at it. Los Angeles. Mm, that really doesn't look all that different. And based on the color scheme, they're not accomplishing what I was hoping they would. They should go back to... The blue, the dark blue with the white lightning bolt with the yellow trim on the helmet that had the contrast. The white helmet, the the white bolt with the yellow trim on a white helmet does not have contrast. I really like the the dark blue look that they used to have. You're talking about the Dan Fouts look. The Dan Fouts look, absolutely. That is a classic look. Yep. That's the one thing that made the Chargers tolerable. And you could still go powder blues when you do your alternative once a year or whenever they're allowed to. Have that be your alternative look, and you can still trot the powder blues out there just on a week-in, week-out basis. I wish they would go back to that darker look. And what else, uh, what can folks find these days at 991thesportsanimal.com? Yeah, the two blogs that I mentioned, all 32 at the former Vols, VFLs in the NFL, their jersey numbers, what teams they're with, how the 2019 season went for them, breakdown uh, by position. Defensive linemen, they, the biggest position of VFLs, there are seven former University of Tennessee players in uh, defensive linemen in the NFL. So it's a position-by-position position breakdown. And then also uh, all the other players that were one-time Vols at finish their, their careers at other schools. Uh, all those are in a s- separate blog along with the local players. Uh, blogs from a number of the staff members, a uh, podcast. Uh, we got some new videos that are, are coming on the way, and that breakdown of the UT scholarship uh, roster position by position is on the way very soon as well. And still plenty to keep up to tabs with on social media. That's right. At, at Sports Radio WNML on Twitter, that's the handle as well to follow, to find us on Facebook. And follow our Instagram account. We're adding to what we're doing in terms of Instagram. And then look for 991 The Sports Animal on YouTube as well. So subscribe to our YouTube channel and uh, find out where we're going to be. We're going to be doing, just like a lot of people, some extra additional things in addition to the norm because of these times we're in right now. Let's get a call from Roger. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Roger. How are you doing? Doing all right. How are you? I'm just fine. I, I was calling uh, uh, 1971 in Charleston, South Carolina. We played a game at the beach, and it was called Half River. You take that 
half rubber ball and cut it in half. Now, the previous caller says you hold it between your fingers. You can lay it in your palm, put your thumb on it. It's all about the pitching, but uh, all you need is a pitcher and a catcher because you lay out the field out there with string, and if they hit a ball out there, it is what it is. But uh, it's called half rubber, and I first played it in 1971 on Folly Beach in Charleston, South Carolina. Been there. Well, I I used to coach down there. Okay. But it's called half rubber, and the pitcher, just like Major League Baseball, whatever he can do with that ball. But we used an old, uh, wasn't a broom handle. It was like a shovel handle because Sometimes you could hit one way outside the catcher's box, but it just took four players. That's all, pitcher and a catcher, and everything was. But it's a wonderful game, and you don't have to buy nothing. Just buy you uh, one of those uh, two-and-a-half-inch rubber balls and cut it in half, and you're good to go because I still got the one in my workshop from 1971. Wow. Hey, Roger, we sure do appreciate that. Thank you very much. Hey, you guys have a good day. Thank you, you as well. Vince, always appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Everybody stay healthy and safe. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Look forward to In the Cage Wednesday night, 8 o'clock. That's right.